Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual journey and look forward to helping you discover God's plan for your life. To find more messages like this, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast feeds. To stay connected with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the handle CCGF01, and check out our website, ccgf.org, for all of this information and more. Now, here is this week's message, grace and peace to you. Well, good morning, Christ Church at Grove Farm, and our guests as well. So glad that we can worship together in this way, although I got to be honest, um, no offense to David and Marcus and Brad, but I really miss seeing all of you. We need to have people back in this place, and we are definitely looking forward to when everything reopens and restarts, and um, we're going to have a great celebration on that day, won't we? Hey, I want to pray for us. I'm really excited about this new series, Meant for Good. Would you join me in praying now? God, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I'm really encouraged that though there are not people gathered here physically, uh, we can know, Lord, just even by looking at YouTube, that I'm told there are, there are 500 or more people that are worshiping together with us right now. How incredible is that? So Lord, we join together as your people. We're not limited by, by geographic uh, boundaries or buildings, you are present with us. And we thank you for that, Lord. Teach us from your word, particularly through the life of Joseph right now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I wanna read to you um, a poem that I came across this week. This poem was written by a critical care nurse in Louisiana about the coronavirus experience. Just wanna read you a part of this, check it out. Our world has changed in the blink of an eye. For overnight, it seems like loved ones have said goodbye. The coronavirus has made a stance and now we lead a life of social distance. The enemy has come to attack all we hold dear, to refuse us the happiness of all we hold near. People are dying and there's a lack of supplies. We could see the fear, worry, and the horror in their eyes. You know, I think that this, this poem rightly picks up on a theme that is present in our culture right now, and that's a, a theme of loss. I mean, there's shattered dreams in many families right now in many ways. I mean, consider uh, the loss of family milestones. How many of you, for instance, um, have been affected by this in terms of your children? I mean, there, there are students who aren't going to get to graduate, you know, as they typically would and experience the, the closure of a senior year. Or, or there are weddings that have been postponed or happened with just a small number of people present. And then there's the loss of plans. People who have been looking forward to retirement and a certain lifestyle. And right now that all seems very tenuous. Or, or even vacations that have been planned. The disappointment about the things that we look forward to every year, the plans that we have. And then there, there's the loss of opportunity. There are some, some of you who are watching right now, I know by name, who have lost the opportunity to properly mourn the death of a loved one. This hurts. These are shattered dreams. This is, this is loss. And in the midst of this, some, perhaps even you, might ask, well, where is God? How, how is God allowing this to happen? I want to present to you a couple questions this morning. Um, one question is this. What do we do when our dreams appear to be lost. When we're talking about shattered dreams. 
what happens? What do we do when our dreams appear to be lost? Here's a second question. What do we do when we cannot see God? You know what I mean. It seems like he's not a parent. It seems like maybe he's, he's standing by and, and maybe not active. What do we do when we cannot see God? Well, I believe that the life of Joseph, as recorded in the book of Genesis, deals with shattered dreams, and it also deals with this, the nature of God. This narrative found in Genesis 37 through 50 gives us insight into the nature of God. It also speaks to these shattered dreams. I'm excited to share, as I mentioned. And so we're going to be looking during the next weeks at Genesis chapters 37 through 50, thereabout. Now, there, there's a lot of content here. We will not read every part together here, but I would encourage you, read at home. This is a great opportunity for you to renew or to continue to engage in your habit of reading the Scriptures Read on your own, Genesis 37 through 50. Study it on your own, please. We're going to turn right now to the Word, and we're going to go through uh, much of this chapter together, Genesis 37. You can turn there in your Bible or find it on your Bible app. Let's begin with verses 1 and 2. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Let's pause there. You know, we, we know perhaps of the patriarchs. You remember Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Well, now we have a transition, it tells us, to the next generation. We have the continuing story of this family. And though he is not a patriarch, the promises of Abraham. The futures of Jacob now reside in Joseph, who is the second from the youngest in Jacob's family, born of his beloved wife, Rachel. And, and we see that, that he's an important figure. You know, he's also here in these first two verses identified as a shepherd. That's important. You know, in the Bible, shepherding is really about people. You see this with David we see it with Jesus Christ. Shepherding's about people ultimately. And we have a sense from these early two verses that Joseph is indeed a shepherd and his flock is his brothers, whether they know it or not. Let's keep going in the text. Verses three and four. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any, other, any of his other sons. Israel is Jacob. Because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So here we have this famous robe. Some of you may have heard of called the coat of many colors. And this coat of many colors or robe signifies at least two things. The first thing it signifies is this, is that Joseph was pampered. Here's why I say this. This coat was long, and it had long sleeves, we believe. And this was not the kind of coat that when one went to work in. This is the kind of coat that one was reserved to the house to hang out. And it makes sense because as we hear here, Joseph was the favorite son. 
of Jacob. So this signifies that this guy was pampered. Among these brothers, he had special treatment. The second thing it signifies is something spiritual that perhaps may have been lost on, on Jacob and Joseph, but it's not lost on us as we hear the story. And that's that, that Joseph is a man of God. I want you to write down a scripture that you can look up later this week. First Kings 19.19. And in First Kings 19.19, we see the prophet Elijah putting his cloak on Elisha. You see, there's this significance in the cloak that, that speaks of a person being a man of God, the power of God upon a person. And so we see this in life of Joseph with this coat. Again, let's keep going. We're picking up in verse five. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed, bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father, as well as his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Okay, so now we have the dreams. And these dreams are very, very important to this entire narrative of Joseph. Let's talk about these dreams a little bit. First of all, you have to understand that dreams and the interpretation of dreams were viewed as a means of divine communication in the ancient Near East. In other words, they believed, people in these times, that God spoke, perhaps predominantly, through dreams. And so dreams, we see them being very important in the Genesis narrative. For instance, if you want to write down another verse to look up, you can go to Genesis chapter 20. And there you see that God spoke to Abraham through dreams. Or you can go to Genesis 28, and you could see that God spoke to Jacob in a dream. That's the one that you know as Jacob's ladder. There are other instances in Genesis of God speaking through dreams. These dreams are important. Now, there are two dreams here, and these dreams speak to a person who will rule over a family. There's one dream that's down to earth. That's, that's the one about the, the, the sheaves of grain. Right? Then there's a second verse, uh, dream that is more upward. It lifts the eyes up to the heavens. Both, though, are dreams of power gained and power used. Both are dreams of a family saved when death was anticipated. Both dreams uh, have widespread ramifications that transformed the ancient world and led to a calling of this one, Joseph, who was born to rule. So verses one through 11, let me give you a review, maybe a recap of what we know about Joseph. Joseph is the favorite child, and he's kind of a pampered tattletale. You saw him telling on his brothers, who dreams grandiosely and interprets 
naively. That might sound harsh, but I think it's pretty accurate based on what we see in the scriptures. But we could also say this. He's a skilled apprentice shepherd, and he bears this prophetic coat and envisions the future. So that's what we know about Joseph so far. I want to skip down a few verses and go to verse 18. Let's pick the story back up. So Joseph was sent out by his father here, Jacob, to check on his brothers with his coat on, picking it up in verse 18. But they, the brothers, saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So now we see the continuing tale of what happens. By the way, there is so much content here. You really need to study this yourself. I've got so much content on the cutting room floor from the sermon. We could teach on this for an hour and a half. Some of you would like that. Many of you would not. But today we're sticking to this part. And, and let's talk about this, this fact that they are calling out the dream of Joseph. You know, they call him a dreamer. Um, a while back, I bought my, my daughters and my wife these sweatshirts that say Memphis, this is where we lived previously, Memphis is for dreamers. And this is meant to be a whimsical thing, right? Here's my cute little daughters, my sweet wife, wearing this, this sweatshirt that says Memphis is for dreamers. And it's meant to be something that speaks of someone who lives life with, with um, grand intentions. It's, it's meant as a positive thing if you're a dreamer in these days. Well, these brothers do not mean this in a positive way. When they call their brother a dreamer, this is not a compliment. This is not a term of endearment. Here's what the literal translation of the ancient Hebrew is. When they call him a dreamer, it means one empowered by prophetic dreams. Just that one word. One empowered by prophetic dreams. In other words, they saw that there was something to this dream and it bothered them. This reminds us of the response to the prophets throughout the Old Testament. If you were to read uh, the the Old Testament through and through, you're going to come to a part at the tail end of the Old Testament that contains uh, 12 prophets. We call them the minor prophets. It begins right after the book of Daniel and goes all the way through the end of the Old Testament. There are 12 prophets listed there. And these prophets were generally treated poorly. I mean, the prophets expressed knowledge about the future. And the people rejected the picture of the future that the prophets painted. They didn't like this. 
in the eyes of the people, the validity of their words could not be separated from, from the personal existence of the prophets. And so what did they do? The prophets were treated violently. They were persecuted. They were treated awfully. And, and really, we see the same thing here. Listen to what the brothers say. They say, uh, we'll see what becomes of these dreams. We're going to show him. We're going to put an end, not just to Joseph, but to his dreams. The brothers' hate for Joseph was more than just annoyance at the preference that was given to him by their father, Jacob. The brothers' hate is rebellion. It's rebellion against the matter contained in the dreams. These dreams are central to the whole thing. And what this really is about, this idea of killing him, throwing him in a cistern, is a rejection of the dreams. The rejection of Joseph is ultimately a rejection of prophecy, a rejection of God and his ways. That's what we see here. So here we have Joseph, the young dreamer, the one with the robe, the one who, who has this, this promise from God thrown into a cistern, thrown into a pit, and, and about to be sold off to slave traders. How do you think Joseph was feeling? We don't know. It's not recorded in this passage, but it doesn't take much imagination to envision that Joseph, this young man, yeah, he had dreams, but, but in the pit, do you think that he felt like he had purpose? Yet, yeah, he had this robe that he had been stripped of, by the way. But what good did that do him? In the pit? Do you think he felt like he had preferential treatment? I mean, Joseph, here he is in the pit. The promises of God? Huh? Do you, do you think that Joseph in the pit felt like he had a future? I wonder about us. I mean, do you feel like at this time there's a loss of purpose in your life? Do you feel like that, that you are a son or a daughter of God in the midst of what's happening in the world right now or your life right now? I mean, do you feel like you have a future? I wonder. I wonder how we respond. When our dreams are shattered, Joseph's dreams surely appear to be shattered as we find them right now. Let's go to verse 31. Genesis 37, picking the story back up. They got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. Tricky, tricky brothers, huh? He recognized it and said, oh, it's my son's robe. Some ferocious animals devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And then jo Jacob tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. So here we have Jacob, the patriarch of the faith, right? Significant figure in the scriptures, in the history of Israel. And how's he handling loss? Let's take it step by step. He tears his clothes. You know, this seems to be a sign of, of his world coming apart. And then what does he do? He puts on sackcloth. Maybe you should try this at home. Go find yourself a potato sack and put it on. You'll see what the significance of this is. This is like Jacob setting his despair on fire. I'm just going to make it worse. 
And, and then we see that he is, he is mourning. It says he was mourning for, for many days. That he, 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 was, he mourned for his son for many days. Many days indicates an unspecified time that has no clear end. In other words, he said, I'm going to be depressed for, forever and ever. I'm going I'm to be in despair. Not only that, he refused to be comforted. His children came to him. They weren't ignoring the issue or the problem, but they tried to comfort him. He refused to be comforted. And then it doesn't say in this translation, but he mentions in other translations, you can look this up, it mentions a place called Sheol. And he, and he says that, that I will join my son in Sheol. This is Sheol in the ancient world was this dark, shadowy underworld. And so where is his gaze? His gaze is downward. This is the patriarch of the faith. I'm not beating up on him. It's a real person. And the general impression we get is a process of grieving that is totally unhealthy. I mean, Jacob rightly had grief. He had a reason to mourn. But the way he is handling this, totally unhealthily. So I wonder about us again. There's shattered dreams. There's the loss of milestones. There's, there's the loss of plans. There's the loss of opportunities. How are you dealing with loss? And not just outwardly, inwardly. Attitudes. Is your world coming apart? Are you setting things on fire? Are you, are you doing things? Your habits, the kind of habits, they're just going to make things worse. Do you refuse to be comforted? Is your gaze downward rather than upward? You see the patriarch of the faith. I can't imagine that, the, that us, that we, might also fall in the same traps. There's a question that hangs over this entire narrative. Maybe you've picked up on it. It's probably a, a question that Jacob had. Perhaps Jacob didn't see God in the midst of this. The question is this, where is God? Where is God in the midst of this story? Let me tell you, God is not mentioned in all of Genesis 37. Did you notice that? In fact, in Genesis 37 through 50, God does not appear to Joseph. There are no grand revelations. There are no speeches of God. Hmm. But let me tell you, God's leadership, though hidden, is the real subject of the story of Joseph. Isn't that interesting? A God who is, is rarely mentioned in this narrative, he's the real subject of the story. I have a question for you. This is a good question for today. In a time of knowing so much and doing so much, what does it mean to trust in God? We, we have very real, physical ways of dealing with life. You know, a time of knowing so much. Have you heard that, like, we can literally, we have the, we have the capabilities in our world today to track a virus and find out where it's come from. That's mind-blowing. That's incredible technology. It's incredible knowledge. Not only that, we would like to believe at least that, that we have the means to produce medicine that will kill a virus. It's incredible that, that people have this capacity. And so it seems that human control is established insufficient. It seems like we've got this. Well, I would suggest that we don't have it and that there is a, a higher, higher power, so to speak. There's a God who is very present and now is the time 
to turn to him. So there are a few lessons I would suggest that Genesis 37 through 50 teaches us about God. I want to go through these very quickly. You might jot these down. Okay, number one is this. The purposes of God are at work in ways that can seem to be hidden and unnoticed. I've already mentioned this. We, we rarely have a glimpse of God specifically in this narrative. He's not speaking to Joseph. He's not appearing to him from what we know. So the ways of God could seem to be hidden. This is something that we have to consider as we consider how is God working in the world today. This is a lesson we get from the story of Joseph. How about number two? The ways of God are at work regardless of human attitudes or actions. Was Joseph in despair in the pit? Did the brothers, by throwing Joseph in the pit and having him sold off into slavery, did they derail the plans of God? No. The plans of God are at work regardless of these human actions or attitudes. Number three, here's another thing we can learn from this narrative. God is visualized as working through day-to-day people and events. How, how is this narrative going to move forward? How is God present? Well, he's present through the day-to-day people and events. This should be really helpful. When you wonder, where is God? I can't see him. Oh, he's at work. And he's at work through day-to-day people and events like you and me, like the things happening in our world. Number four is this. This is what we can learn. We could trust that God works his ways and his ways will come to fruition. You can count on it. I want to give you a verse that I'm sure we'll come back to during this series. It's Romans chapter 8, 28. It's from the New Testament, but it speaks to the heartbeat, the message of the entire Joseph narrative. And it's this, Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He works all things together for good, the good of those who love him. You find yourself right now in a place where you got shattered dreams, loss of milestones that you could celebrate, a, a loss of plans, a, a loss of, of, of opportunities. Look, we serve a God. You love a God who works all things together for good. So I would say this. I'm excited about this past, this story, this series rather, as I mentioned. The life of Joseph is an amazing story to address these times, a time when to see and to know and control are all important. In our culture, to see and know and control, that's what we long for. Human beings, we, we want to see evidence. We want to we have assurance. We want to be in control. Well, listen, Joseph helps us take the hands off. Joseph and his story helps us to be assured. This is a perfect story for our times. We're going to have a good time going through it. Now, you know, I said that God isn't mentioned in chapter 37. Well, he is there. I want to show you verse 9. Of course he's there. Verse 9 again says this. It says, going back to the the passage here, i got to find it. Verse 9, we are live without a net, folks. There he goes. Then he, Joseph, had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, this is the second dream. I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. You know, this this little dream that he has, the second one, borders on blasphemy. I mean, here's Joseph, this 17-year-old kid. 
acting like he's God. I mean, who, who, is, who is the one to whom the stars and the moon and the sun bow down to? Well, the creator, the Lord. But it isn't blasphemous, and here's why it's not blasphemous. That's because ultimately the bowing points to Jesus Christ. Listen, the story of Joseph points to Jesus before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The story of Joseph points to Jesus who will return to assume his rightful position as the Savior of the world. I want to share with you a verse. This is another one that's jot down perhaps. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Perfect for this, for this message today. Listen, and all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Hmm, that feels right, doesn't it? These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed, when he comes back, when he returns. Though you, may, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Listen, there is a dream that is spoken over us. There is a promise that's guarded on our behalf Look, it's an eternal promise. We could say this. We could say, we should get sweatshirts that say, Christ Church is for dreamers. Because here's what we dream over. We dream about the promise. We dream about the eternal hope we have in Jesus. Listen, this is bigger than our milestones and our plans and our opportunities. It, it is bigger than a world pandemic. We have an eternal hope in Christ. And we see it right here in Joseph's dreams. A time when all the universe, even the sun, moon, and stars, will bow down to Jesus. So, spoiler alert, Joseph's dreams do come to pass. And he becomes the governor of Egypt. And God saves many, many people through him. God saves many people through him. Does that sound familiar? Read the story for yourself. Genesis 37 through 50 teaches us that a dream doesn't depend on the father or the brothers or even on Joseph. It doesn't depend on you and me. So let me speak this over you. God has not abandoned the dream. The dream I'm talking about is the dream of eternal life, of the return of Jesus Christ. Listen, bow before Jesus that's what this story reminds us to do. Believe in him, the dream of eternal life through Christ. Listen, let the dream be at work, even when its outcome is less than clear. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this grand story of Joseph, his life and times. Lord, as we face shattered dreams, as we perhaps strain to see you, in all of life, I pray, Lord, that we would remember that though you seem to be hidden, you are at work and your plans and your purposes will come to fruition. Lord, that gives us comfort not only now, but it gets us, gives us comfort as we look to the future. Lord, we have an eternal hope in Jesus. 
And he will come. He will return to save all the world. Thank you for Jesus, Lord. We bow before him. And Lord, as we bow before him, we believe in the dream of eternal life through him. We believe that dream's at work, Lord. Give us that comfort and peace today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.